everybody. Good evening and welcome to another episode of Freaky Trigger and the Lollards of Pop. Serious about silly and silly about the serious. The internet's only sane collective is dropping science so you can pick it up again. We come to you today broadcasting live from Moomin Valley and who would have thought it? There's a branch of Snufkin Fried Chicken next door. My wonderful guests today are expert Moominologist Dr Quack. Uh, the smoking jacket clad capitalist Tom Ewing and some big Jesse called Pete Barron. Uh, my name's Sarah and we have genial mischievous kitten Stephen Hewitt on the knobs. So today, boys and girls, we're going to be talking about kidlit, children's literature. We're incredibly uh, privileged to have Dr. Quack here recently returned from uh, giving a paper in Finland on fear in children's literature. Am I right in that? Absolutely right. I'm glad. If I got that wrong, that would be a pretty poor start. Uh, which would, would be, be nothing shady. unusual for me. Um, we're maybe not so privileged to have uh, Tom in the corner. Now, Tom is promising something so scary that it could even unnerve the strongest wield of Hemulans. Tight pudding. <laughs> Tight pudding. Um, I thought we might start off with something to get us in the mood for the eerie and scary about, um, about kids lit and... Uh, um, maybe a musical way that this has been interpreted in the past. Um, listeners of a certain age will be quite familiar with this tune, I'd imagine. And to this day, I shouldn't be too surprised if there's a lingering fear of fuzzy felt. Steve, can we have some scary music? I hope we can. <laughs> Now, that was wonderful. Um, it just happened that um, a lovely um, resonance chap just came in and banged on the door and went, I haven't heard this in, in however many years. Tears in his eyes. How, how long would that be? Would that be, what, that's mid-80s, right? That version of the Moomin scene tune? Yeah. Um, well, well, on, on the YouTube where I had to record this from, it said late 70s, early 80s. Now, I thought it was a little bit later than that. Yeah, I, I remember it kind of being mid, mid-80s, but... I'm not sure if that might not be the most evocative piece of music maybe ever. No. <laughs> Why not? I think it might be. The more you listen to it, the more it just hypnotises you into curling up underneath a pine tree and waiting for somebody to bring you raspberry cordial and maybe some pine needles. Well, I'm sorry, Sarah, but I, I was never a fan of the moments. <gasps> what? I think I may be about to be lynched in this room. But, yeah, I was never really a fan. It was kind of a bit disturbing, a bit, a bit dull and a bit <gasps> did you ever uh, read the books or, or no, are you basing this on the on the I, I didn't read tv the show yeah it was basically on the tv show and i quite i quite liked his melancholia but I, mm. um he-man came on directly afterwards and was much more exciting <laughs> with it with it yeah it, i think it was the moomins then roland rat did a bit of um beatboxing and then you'd have some he-man mm. continuity there is pretty good sounds about right pretty good but but you guys, um, um, did you read the Moomin books first, or and then the TV show, or did you I, really not encounter? One I'm or kind the of other the opposite, Pete. I never saw the TV show until I came to your flat a couple of years ago and was shown it. Wow, so it's your first time. Yeah, is that because it was an ITV in your middle class? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Doctor Quack? I'm I'm struck with how much more um, one of our speakers is actually like a Moomin now than He Man. So it's, it's come round the other way in his adult life. Um, yes, I don't, I'm not very familiar at all with the film, um, although I've seen various cartoons in various languages since. Yeah, uh, what, what, one of the weird things about it is that the um, the only people that seem to adapt the sort of fuzzy felt scary one, which has got the 
most detailed sort of booming recreations uh, is the German version. The English version is the same, but they've cut a lot of it out. So say in the first episode with the Hobgoblin and so on, there's a part where uh, Moomin Troll gets enchanted to look like somebody else completely different, and he goes about saying, I'm the king of California. <laughs> and he doesn't realise that he looks completely different, and all his friends are just like, oh, here's a, here's a weirdo calling himself the king of California. Yeah, okay, we, we like new people, we'll hang about with them. Um, the English version cuts that out. But the Germans do it completely. So, say, a five-minute episode in English will have extended to 30 minutes in German. <laughs> a bit like the language German. is alles viel besser. What you said. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you said there. So, did you, you read the books first, Sarah, or the TV? Um, it would be the books, um, but I didn't read all of them. I think it was probably Comet in Moomin Valley that I read first. And then I didn't read the rest for quite a while. Um, I was terrified by the by, by the show, in particular Snufkin. In the books, he's this sort of really genial, wouldn't hurt a fly character. But in the TV show, he's this scary ginger monster. I mean, not that the ginger people are inherently scary. Or uh, indeed monsters. <laughs> okay, yeah, they may be monsters. They, they might be monsters. Sorry, ginger listeners. Do, do we have any listeners? Yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely, <laughs> there is definitely one ginger listener. Oh, oh yeah. well, that's pretty good. Um... So, so I'm just I was just wondering about the moments. I mean, what is it that grabs it for you? I mean, because to me they were like sort of these strange fuzzy felt hippos, and that was pretty much it. I was a big fan of the tasty dessert hippopotamus, <laughs> so <laughs> right. so maybe that was why I like the moments. But I, sorry, Tom, I encountered the moments first. I got um, read them um, in my in 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 school when I was about five or six. They read Moominland Midwinter, and I sort of liked the. I don't know. I guess the sort of lonesomeness and and emo, an emo. <laughs> yes, that's the word. The twemo in um, <laughs> the bandon. <laughs> yeah, in in Moominland. No, I mean it. It just was. I think it was the the, the sort of sequences where um, the great cold comes and and the squirrel freezes, and it was just very very. It was much bleaker than anything else that we mm. we'd but been I think read. That's something it, that yeah. Torvianson is unusual in in children's literature it's very unusual that someone or something dies for a start mm. but also that it happens in such a stark way mm. you face death properly as a figure as a figurative character but also as something real which has a natural effect uh, a psychological and an emotional effect and so children recognize that's actually a unique moment where someone's not going to be patronizing them about passing on or gone mm. to sleep yeah, I think the parents are interesting in the Moomin books as well because Moomin mm. Papa runs <laughs> runs away a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, Moomin Mama's very nice, very pastoral, but you know if Moomin Troll gets transmogrified, I'm <laughs> not that they they use that term, I suppose. Maybe Toby Anses should use the term transmogrified <laughs> a bit more. She's very calm. She just takes it all in a all in a stride. But um, but the books are very melancholy, big cold. There are these big concepts in them, and, which is why I think it's weird that certain takes on the Moomins, um, let's just name no names of countries, Japan, Japanese, Japan, yeah. <clears throat> uh, but have, tr have just taken the Moomins and turned them into wide-eyed um, commercial beasts. But, but this, I Hooray. mean, because that's in there as well, like... There is a load of kind of jolly romping and let's all go and have adventures and, you know, before mm. the, the summer ends and autumn comes in, it's adventure time. And I used to have, like, I, I remember when I was about five or six when I just got into them really strongly, I would have a sort of endless series of kind of lucid dreams or daydreams in which Moomin would come to stay at my house and we'd go and have adventures in sort of the back garden and stuff. And it certainly wasn't like, yeah, oh yeah, and then, you know, your friend the squirrel will die. That element <laughs> of the Moomin books didn't really feature in the lucid dreams. It was much more the let's discover a cave, let's do this, let's do this. Yes, and it, it validates things that children do and are passionate about, like the Hattie Fatness collection. Oh, you know, being yeah. rather OCD about collecting things and recording them and noting everything down. And there are a lot of children like that. There are a lot of people like that. What does a Hattie Fatness collect? Barometers. Oh, no, I thought they just had one big oh, they barometer. Worship the barometer. <laughs> yes, they worship <laughs> barometers collect. and collect mini beasts, don't they? Doesn't he collect mini beasts? Of course, mini we, need, beasts. we need Mark Thinker here, who's going to be smiling and going ha at his. Mark, you can always text in <laughs> yeah. the Lollards. Um, I might. Well, I'm, I one eight hundred Lollards. I'm vaguely tempted to give out my number because I doubt thing, we've got listeners. If I may, about Finland, which struck me mm. when I was there, that I don't. I'm not entirely convinced that this melancholia we're talking about is read in the same way by mm. Scandinavians. 
I think because there's so little light <laughs> for so much <laughs> of the year, that this is a natural state well, to so be in. It's not actually that they're not cheery or that they're melancholic. It's that this is reality. Yeah. Well, I stu- well, well, I studied Finnish for a little while, and when I was um, talking to you know, the Finnish people, the teachers, and the various you know, other people I was meeting through that, uh, everything was just always very very deadpan there was never just no small talk at all i mean this is a very common thing to say about well well finnish people i don't know about scandinavian in general maybe not swedish people so much hmm. it ties but in though was, yeah it ties in i mean i, I think they i mean sort of moomin land in wintertime hmm. which i believe is kind of one of the ones which is kind of very melancholic Am I right? Yeah, I don't you know. know nothing. I, I know nothing about. It, but never. You didn't even read them. You hate the movements. I know. But the, get out! But the, what are you even doing the idea here? Of wintertime, the idea of wintertime, of course, uh, for uh, Finns would be very different to the idea of wintertime for us. You know. Well, well, what they they have a sort of big winter, and what happens a, a few times is that they they'll say, "Oh, right, it's time to go to sleep for the winter," and then Moomin' Pebble will stand up and go, like that. Very good. <laughs> You like that? They'll go right. I I don't want to stay here. Well, just because our ancestors did that doesn't mean that we have to do that. And then they go out into this world which is completely new to them, and um, which I imagine must be a bit like the complete depths of an Arctic Circle. That, that will be the uh, text from Mark Sink telling us about what the uh, Hattie Fatlands collect. I dare say. Okay, pause. Um, uh, Mar- uh, Mark Sinker says the Hemulans are collectors what? and the Hattie Fatners uh. just sail about and worship barometers and um, that's not School at all phallic. Schoolboy era. It's terrible. <laughs> Schoolgirl in this uh, case. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I mean, the Hemulans, um, that, the Hemulan mm. wears a dress and goes about collecting flowers. I'm not sure panicking. if it was a big issue. I've got a really issue. distracting sight in front of me. I've got this gorgeous boy who does the knobs and... I'm finding it really difficult he's to actually, concentrate. He's actually doing the knobs as you speak. Um, <laughs> Sarah, you're saying about um, Japanese tat. Oh, exactly. Well, we were hoping to have a letter from our correspondent in Tokyo, but unfortunately we couldn't get that together in time. But what we do have is this absolutely wonderful list of what our roving correspondent has um, spotted, which is available in the way of Moomin merchandise. So I've highlighted a, a few faves. Now, the, the particular one which strikes me, which I really need, must have, Little My Bed Socks. Oh, okay, can nice, you imagine yeah. I can imagine them on you, socks. certainly, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's all too easy to imagine them <laughs> on you. <laughs> put it, put it away. Uh, and we've got uh, toddler-sized hoodies, but no adult hoodies. Oh, mm. That's a, a gap in the emo market. And then question, 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 question. Sniff earrings. Now you know the character Sniff. Mm. That's odd. Yeah, um, fairly. Well, how would you describe Sniff? He, he's not sort the most of, sort of uh, over enthusiastic hanger-on of Moomin Troll. Yeah, he's but a kind of mouse, right? Is he? He's a, well, he plays a, a judge in a little mock trial they hold at one point. Um, so he's making the law, making he, the law. He, he, <laughs> he plays a kind of mouse question. He's a sort of keen younger brother figure. Mm. What, what? So, but odd as earrings, whichever way. You yes, look at odd it. as earrings. Yeah. yeah. Certainly, um, Moomin Mama's handbag is particularly good. Yeah. Um, was that was that magical or was that the hat? Bag. No, that's just um, just, just magic. Bag. No, no, no. Bag. That's how you told. That's how you could tell it was Moomin Mama because she had a handbag. Otherwise, she looked the same as Moomin Papa, right? Or? And a bit of an apron. Sorry, okay. in the background, what we've got here is um, a CD called Moomin Voices, which is um, Toby Jensen's um, sort of musical interpretations of, of, say, various characters. So um, I would have the track listing here, but I forgot to write it out. Um, sorry about that. I believe track four is Little Mai's song or Piku Mai's Laula. Um, well, Pikumain Laula, I suppose. Um, but anyway, well, apparently also you can get Moomin paper clips, which I think is, is quite sweet. <laughs> Phone charms, um, 74 different designs of mugs. 74. Wow. There aren't 74 characters. Mm. Um, do, you think, do you think the appeal of the Moomins is partially due to the simplicity of the, the way they're drawn and so on? I mean, well, or... uh, No, because, be, because the way that they're drawn in the books isn't anything like the strange sort of anime Moomins, which are first of all incorrect because Moomin Troll is blue. He's not blue, for goodness sake. It's completely wrong, completely strange. Hang on. Well, on the other list, we've got a bento boxes and portable chopsticks. Now, what chopsticks are particularly unportable? True, yes. No, that's a good point, yeah. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Uh, snork maiden marshmallows. And considering yeah. the Moomins look a bit like marshmallows in the first Indeed, place. Yeah. That, yes, that's tantamount to... Mm, cannibalism, yes. basically. If yes. you were Plain a Moomin. Bad Japan, naughty Japan in your bed. Um, Hattie Fatner lights, a Hattie Fatner shoehorn. 
That's the best. You know, when, when I was a kid, I always thought shoehorns were things... I you could, could do with the shoehorn. You thing. could use it to turn your shoes into a musical instrument, but it, it never worked. That I wonder how that could work. I suppose maybe you could narrow out a hole in them somewhere. And, um, if you have a stiletto heel, if you do a, do a very small hole in it, you could use it as a little flute or something like that and just blow through it. But yeah. that's neither here nor there, I guess. But. Neither is here or there. Um, we're getting to the end of the list. Well, actually, we're nowhere near the end of the list. It's huge. You can get everything with Moomins on it. But you can get Little My, Snufkin and Moomin Troll golf covers, which I'm assuming is stuff for your golf covers. Actually, they're the right shape for a golf cover, mm. aren't they? A Snufkin tent. Yes. And, um, and finally, in capital letters, we have a cushion shaped like Little My's head and Moomin QP mayonnaise. Boom. Moomin mayonnaise. Ladies and gentlemen, the Japan Japanese are there. nuts for mayonnaise, aren't they? Well, well, we were making another point about this whole relentless commercialism and how you know, if the Moomins are slightly sort of scary and, and maybe a little uncanny characters, then then what are you saying by sort of tweeing them up and bringing them all obsessively into your house? And who would actually get the all 74 mugs? I mean, this is a silly question because the answer is me, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I've got three of them, I think. I've got uh, I've got three as well. In fact, they're a Valentine's Day present from oh. a previous year. I'm not oh. going to be getting any Valentines this year, boys and girls. It's an odd thing. Maybe to one sniff too. earring. <laughs> <laughs> one lonely sniff earring. Yeah, send them to Sarah, um, courtesy of Resonance FM. I don't think Tova would have approved of oh, Valentine's Day or sniff earrings. Indeed, in all of it. I mean, if you think about the values of the books, they are not about Valentine's Day. They are the opposite of objectification materialism for the sake mm. of it they're always there are always things like floods and disasters happening and everyone just lose, loses all their possessions and is the mm. better for it in um in the first comics there's a um there's something where they come into a lot of money for some reason i think snork maiden actually developed some sort of gambling habit <laughs> they decide <laughs> they decide that they don't like ribbons. the winter so they're going to go away to the south and i don't know whether Which they is mean the riviera it yeah, yeah, basically the Riviera. I, although I try and picture it as the south of Finland in one lonely sunbed, um, and um, they get a, a really ornate hotel room, and they just don't know what to do with all the space. So they end up just making a tent out of a four-poster bed because that's what they're used to. And um, what else happens in that? That's a very that's a very kid thing. The whole making a fort out of your bedroom type stuff. I mean, mm. I can see it's again about bringing things in that kids have in their little life they can do. But mm. I mean, you, you say, I mean, you, you think that the Moomins have quite a lot of um, uncertainty and fear in them, or something like that. Or um, I think that sometimes when you read, I mean, certainly the the comet. There's no knowing what the comet really is. And I once went to give a paper with the said Mark Thinker, who's already texted in, and and we and it was on it was on size, on perspective in Moomin works, and one of. The other papers that, that um, took place at the time, which he will well remember, because the spe- speaker sort of sobbed, <laughs> she felt so passionately about um, the issue, is that um, the comet, you know, was was basically, you know, the sort of red terror, the Russians. Okay. And that reading the work politically like that does make you read it very differently. And again, I suppose, would make you look at this Japanese response hmm. differently. Yeah, I hadn't actually thought of that, but but that's probably because the because that's the first book I read. I suppose it's it's stuck in my mind. And I haven't really looked at it critically so much because it's still in my head as this huge, giant, scary thing that this mm. that this really sort of small micro family mm. just notice like surrounding them more and more, and it gradually encroaches on you very, very slowly, and. And when it comes to be this huge, massive thing that hits you, it's really terrifying. Mm, and yet it's attractive, it's alluring, mm. they, they all go out to find it. But maybe that's, I mean, you know, if, if one thinks about Japan, they don't have to look terribly far back in their history to find a sort of symbolical metaphor for an enormous <laughs> comet, which, which blows loads of things up. And the fact that it then basically doesn't blow anything up and kind of retreats, mm. maybe they weren't attracted to that as a... Mm. as a thought as an idea that the whole sort of teasy promise of destruction which you get in comet in moominland didn't appeal and so it's like no outright twee is what we want from this <laughs> <laughs> a text from our from our uh, correspondent mr singer says um sniff is the materialist he likes treasure <laughs> so so maybe oh, yes. that's why he's an earring <laughs> because <laughs> all he deserves <laughs> 
<laughs> the garnet earrings. Yeah. <laughs> they'll be cheap, whatever they are, they'll be cheap. Go. Oh, we've done a lot of babbling on about the Moomins, but I'm, I'm in, more interested in, in your paper. Obviously, you've just gone to Finland and talked about this, so it might be a bit boring to tell us a bit more about it again. No, But no. if you would... No, I'm never bored with listening to myself. I work in <laughs> higher education. We're not. We're not <laughs> either, well, but I work in higher education too, so I suppose. <laughs> it, it was kind of about the the term eerie. That's what got me into it, um, which, like uncanny, hmm. has got an interesting history. Um, its origin is in an Old English, irg, which means cowardly. But then, irg. Yeah. Oh, I can't <laughs> roll the R. But later, you're going to have to. Um, By Middle English, it turns into eri, which means fearful. So it's gone from being a coward Mm. to fearful. And then if you look at the Frisian root, uh, or Old Norse, it's more about bad, frightening. So that's erich, E-R-G. That wasn't how I pronounced it when I first read it. (laughs) <laughs> which is A-R-G-R. Now, that word Arrgh. in Old Norse is much more like something you'd find in a comic strip, yeah. I think. Yeah. Actually, an onomatopoeic word. And that means evil in its first use. Swedish arg is malicious. Old German um, arg goes to unheimlich much later, which is this <laughs> word that Freud made much of. And, of course, that leads you into the Sandman which Freud wrote about in 1919 in an essay called Das Umheimliche, which means the uncanny. And I use that essay because he talks a great deal about eyes and how frightening was, mm, eyes are. In yeah, I was books. just about to say that I can't, I can't actually remember that much about the Sandman. I might have blanked it out because I was so terrified by it. <laughs> but but can you remind us basically about what, what it is again? Is, is sure. it, it's sort of um, a guy comes... Ra- well, it's yeah, a folklore character... <laughs> traditionally said to throw sand in the eyes of children to help them fall mm. asleep but in fact um, if you look at the story more closely he goes further than that I'm going to read a tiny little bit from The Sandman translated into English um, at this point he's asking an old woman who looked after one of the young children what sort of man The Sandman is I'm going to do it in a Plymouthian accent okay Eh, hey, Natty. That's not Plymouthian, is it? <laughs> 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 you know Whatever. He's a wicked man who comes to children when they won't go to bed and throws a handful of sand into their eyes. So they start out bleeding from their heads. He puts their eyes in a bag and carries them to the crescent moon to feed his own children who sit in the nest up there. They have crooked beaks like owls so they can pick up the eyes of naughty human children. <laughs> no wonder I blocked it out. And now it's on the radio forever. That is a little frightening mm. for kids. Mm. You know. well, I thought it was frightening now. And bearing in mind, we want our kids to go to sleep. Tom, you've got one? Yep. You want them to go to sleep? Yep. Yeah. Well, will you be reading I mean, him luckily the he's, he's still at the age where it does not matter what yeah. he gets read. He's going to go to sleep. When, yes, and I'd, I, would, I would put it to Tom, and Tom's already... Um, desired this book that a book like Shh by Sally Grindley and Peter Utton which is a story about tiptoeing through a, a castle trying to avoid the giant has this moment where you turn a page each page you turn sorry about the bang bang um, each page you have to look back to see if you've woken the giant and then on one oca- awful occasion you're in this charming little attic with cuddly toys and you lift a flap to peek through and see if the giant is still asleep and there's this horrible open eye but, but but in the previous instances, there's always like, so have a look and see if the giant's cat is awake. And you're mm. is it, is it? Oh, no, no, it's okay. It's asleep. And then mm. this, this eye. Uh, there's this huge go. open mm. eye. Well, which... this, this one in the background is Little Mice Song, by the way. I, uh, <laughs> we don't have to turn it up. No. We can turn it back down <laughs> I mean, again. It's not speaking, I mean, if, this, if, you, if, if you're going to read this to your child or, to, or do, do a sort of reading with this with your child before they go to bed... Then having just before the final page something that is actually quite disturbing mm. seems counterproductive. I know, but it, it is saying shut up stuff. or it'll get you. But yeah, I mean, is that? I mean, is are we are we saying actually that the 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 idea of putting a kid to bed is not so much that they go to sleep, is that they actually shut up and yes. don't disturb you? 
Yes. It's not really a bedtime book, to be fair. Yeah. I mean, Do you think I, it counts as one of the extreme picture books, the term that you were mentioned before? That Absolutely. And my, my friend who works um, with nursery children uh, <laughs> told me a fantastic... <laughs> Torments. <laughs> yes, told me a fantastic story. They want her to read it, the children mm. in the class, but they often would say, read, read shh, but don't do the eye! <laughs> so they didn't want to see the eye bit. And on one occasion she came into the classroom and there were a group of children sellotaping the book <laughs> shut. Oh, oh. Yeah. So that the things inside it couldn't get them. We, we, yeah, I mean, it's worth mentioning at this point that it's all written from. That, well, it's drawn in a, in a from the perspective of you're an extremely small person mm. tiptoeing through this giant's castle, mm. and when in this final page the giant is after you, it, it's it's is it foreshortening the term so that you're. Um, so there's this huge yes. looming giant yeah, above yeah. you, and, and, and the last the last words are quick. Shut the book. Shut the book. Shut the book. Shut the book. So and it's it's really like he's going to come out of this book. He's going to get you. And the fact that you're oh, you're interacting with the book in on another level, and that you're opening yeah, actual it's, it's flaps all, in it's it. It's very so. very cleverly done. Because yeah. the, the 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 rhythm of children's books, especially going to sleep children's books, is is something that I'm kind of getting quite um, well practical knowledge of. And and my son's favourite is hippos go berserk. Um, my favourite too. Which which basically it's about a hippo who has a party and he gradually invites more and more hippos and the culmination is uh, all the hippos go berserk in the middle of the page. At which point you know you jump up and down, the child yells, etc. And then all the hippos gradually go away and and clear up afterwards and stuff. So it's sort of it's got the peak and then it's like yes, okay yes. there we are now you're on your own and it's now time to get, you've had your your yell yes. and now you can go to yeah, bed and like go to sleep where the wild things are yeah like where with the, the wild, wild rumpus in, in the middle. Mm. Yeah, mm. but obviously the, the wild rumpus, the kind of the kind yeah. of uh, the wild rumpus, the sort of rumpusive peak of shh <laughs> is is right at the end. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then kids kids like to be frightened, don't they? I mean, there's, there's absolutely core to so much children's literature to be a bit scared and frightened. Though of course it's a very safe thing. It's a book. Yeah, I, th- I think it. Well, I mean, I think it's the various levels of, of that book that are the, the scariest. I mean, there's the perspective that, that it's drawn at. There's the text which is addressing the the kid directly, but um, there's the. Um, I've sort of lost my trail here because I'm staring at the book and it's frightening me because even <laughs> even the first page, I mean, the castle is is really just opening up like a huge mouth about to eat you. It does play yeah, with every Freudian trick. Yeah. In the <laughs> yeah, but I think it's he's got a lot to also to do with this business of having some kind of pseudo control over mm. the book or not. And that is a really interesting thing to play with with children. So it works on a meta level, even with very young children. They yeah. understand it's a book that can be opened and shut, and the eye is something that opens and shuts. Indeed. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of this stuff which, um, you know, people say is too frightening for children and stuff like that. I mean, some of the stuff you've brought from... Mm. Um, Edward Gorey, for instance. Yeah, Edward Gorey and stuff like that, mm. which, is, which is kind of scary, but at the same time, it is, it is what, what shh does... Um, is implicit in it. It is a book. It is a picture. And whilst the picture might be scary in itself, kids kids are well aware of what is fiction and what isn't up to a point. I mean, it's quite a good point, I think. Yeah, in fact, that's a point that continues to be researched. Yeah. Yeah, that people are very unsure still about how much children um, can tell the difference between fantasy and reality, whereas it's more likely, in my mind, to be grown-ups who have difficulty with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Edward Gorey is a classic um, case in point. This is a very odd thing to be doing on the radio, isn't mm, it? With we're, picture books, We're yeah. all gazing <laughs> at pictures here and you're thinking, damn, damn, all I've got is their stupid description. Yeah, they are dumb. And I have a drawing in front of me. In I never which... read Edmund Gorey as a, as a kid, though. I only saw it as a grown-up. So I've never really seen any of the of Edmund Gorey's um, tales to be to be kid stuff at all uh, I don't know they've always seemed more maybe newspaper st- style comment I mean how many kids did did you guys read Edmund Gorey or, or look at Edmund Gorey I didn't read any kids I, books I only heard about him as a yeah um, Pete's illiterate sorry Pete as a, as a comics fan I guess that kind of recovering the sort of lost classics of children's illustration and and things is, is a sort of project on the kind of art comic side because it's trying to redeem the origins of comics as being part of this continuum of really kind of classy illustrative work and, mm. and such like so there's a huge amount of interest you know probably the, one of the better places to buy children's books in London is Gosh Comics on um, on, on Great Russell Street, Street. Great yeah. Russell Street thank, thank you Pete don't give Tom <laughs> a discount he doesn't need any more comics you couldn't have been asking me that question um Sarah because you said guys so I, I should keep quiet should I mm, yeah well, get back in
the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Make me a bacon sandwich. <laughs> Sorry, we were talking about bacon sandwiches before, but that's certainly beyond the point. I'm going to stick with Edward Gorey just for a second because this is an A to Z. Guys, it's fairly and gender I, neutral. I think A to Zs are essentially a, a children's genre. Yeah. You know, the A to Z normally for children yeah. is A is for ant, which is, of course, phonetically wrong. It should be A <laughs> is for aches and pains, children. <laughs> but I think grown-ups would rather a world existed where there were no aches and pains, either for them or for children. So you won't have an A is for aches and... You know, actually, what A is Edward, for acorn. Exactly. Oh, what Edward Gorey does is is an A to Z of children's deaths, mm. and that appeals to every adult's and certainly parents' worst fears. You know, where mm. your children can um, take poison in the kitchen, drown in a lake, get done in by a thug, and my favourite, be be struck with an axe. But of course, it's 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 also for every child um, something that hasn't happened the to footprint, them. The footprints that trail away from the axe are, are interesting in that one. I think. Yes, I think it's again in the twenty first century. This is our our classic worst fear, isn't it? Mm. That children are are going to be axed by some stranger. Whereas, in fact, the biggest risk to children is in their own home. Yeah, yeah. Of the internet. Mm, no, in there's fan home. fiction out there in their own know. home. If we we want to look at you know, abuse statistics and stuff like that, and that's absolutely, absolutely in, the, in the home, isn't it? And oh, well, it's an important cultural myth so. yeah. sustained by our fictions in in modernity in, in the press and so on. But I think Gory but is unusual because he's addressing the fact that it is well. There a are home. There there are homes in there. I mean, the Zilla who dies of gin obviously does that at home. And where does she get the gin from? Um, <laughs> alcoholic mother. Well, maybe that's how I read it. Maybe I'm just keen on that one because there's gin involved in it. But um, mm, mm. I don't know. I mean, are there any morals here? I mean, there are no morals here, are there? Well, I mean, don't die of gin. Don't, uh, drive, don't drink it. I mean, drink in moderation. No, not, no, 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 not, I don't, yeah. no. I think Edward Gorey writes deliberately to make us feel uneasy because yeah. he felt that's what the world was like. And there is no way that he is trying to use a moral. Yeah. Yet. That's not something you enjoy, is it? In no, I'm, 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 a real, I'm a real anti-moral. But, you know, that's... That's, that, that's because I think, think basically stories that have morals in them are generally rubbish. And I, I, I don't think they... They don't work in life, so therefore they, they don't work in fiction very well. You know, mm. the, 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 sort of, the sort of story that has a... Um, you know, you were very generous to someone, so therefore the world is generous to you doesn't happen in life and therefore rings untrue in fiction. Um, and I, that's, that's, I, I can't think of any... Aesop's fables, let's, let's say, the morals in there, when they're, when they're not just really nasty ones... Um, the the the, tur- the the tortoise and the hare or whatever they're not very well written characters you know and they're beyond beyond the few good pictures and all that stuff they just yeah, well neither's Jemima Puddle Duck but you know he wouldn't say no well you wouldn't say no I mean you fancy Jemima Puddle Duck I, I don't fancy Jemima Puddle Duck but I think that we do need to have some sort of husband list uh, feature for the kid list maybe oh, maybe dear. we don't maybe we should just move on. Um, on my notes, we've got that Tom's got a scary song to play us, and Tom's even fat got a scary story. Well, the scary story will come in a second, but this is a song I think the Sandman might like. <laughs> will he now? I'm scared. Eyes and eyes, nostrils and eyes. Not an eyelash, but, but a prick will make no eye at all. Is there any, any? No, there's none, there's none. Oh, no, there's none. No, nothing. Is there any rank? Dimpled, drooping, warm breast, so tender to touch. There is one, yes, I have one. Spare, somewhere, elsewhere, where? Early now. Ah, my dear, ah. Ooh, smudge, crust, smell, tasty lust, ah. Thank 
Position normal. That was, yeah, nostrils and eyes, but position normal. Um, the, um, yeah, m- morals and and morality. I'm not sure I'm my mic. Yeah, it's on. It's, it's oh, it is. Okay, it. fine, cool. Oh, uh, yeah, morals and morality and, and such like in children's literature. Um, classical guess, dud. Well, classical dud, but I want to talk about a, a couple of children's books. Um, one of which may or may not have a moral, and the other of which certainly does seem to have. And I'll, I'll start with the second one, which is a story called The New Mother. Um, are we all sitting comfortably? Yes, are we sitting well? Because <laughs> well, you com- won't be I'm not, I'm standing up. But. Uh, with the title like The New um, Mother, you're already uncomfortable. Yeah, The, the, new, the new Mother, it's, it's quite a long story, so I won't... Um, I'll briefly summarise it. Um, and then later on I'll read the ending. But it's about a couple of children. They live with their mother. Their father's away at sea. And they go to the village every day to see if there's a letter from their father. And on one of the trips to the village, on the way back, they meet this slightly older girl who says that she's got a couple of little people who live in a box. And if the children, you know, the children say, oh, can we see them? And she says, no, well, only if you're naughty. And they go home and they start being naughty. Mm. And the mother's, the mother gets quite upset at them being naughty. They're only mildly naughty. They're just sort of throwing stuff around and, and what have you. And then the, <coughs> the children say... If we were very, very, very naughty and wouldn't be good, what then? Then, said the mother sadly, and while she spoke her eyes filled with tears and a sob almost choked her, then she said I would have to go away and leave you and to send home a new mother with glass eyes and a wooden tail. <laughs> um, and Sorry. Yeah, well, that's, a, that's a bit scary. The children then, you know, go off and, and, and they see the the girl again and they say well we were naughty can you show us the people and the girl says well you weren't naughty enough were you um and the, the, they said yeah but she said you know our mother said we that she'd send this new mother and and the girl says look new mothers don't exist what kind of mother has glass eyes and a wooden tail it's nonsense and the children then go back and they think okay well we're going to be naughty again and we'll see what happens to them in a little while i but- think i've worked it out but <laughs> oh dear I think but that I think that seductive girl is Dedovil. Dedovil <laughs> could be Dedovil, but the um, it was written in in 1914 by um, a woman called Lucy Lane Clifford, who wrote Moral Tales um, along the lines of Mrs. Ewing. <laughs> <laughs> no relation, but she wrote Victorian Moral Tales, which were all they all seem to involve like a shepherd or whatever who's bringing up his son, and then they're very poor, and then the shepherd dies, but before he dies, he sees an angel. And so that's all right. And there's Yay, even, God! Yeah, there's not even a moral other than believe in God and it won't matter when people die. Yeah, well, that's true. Well, you know, fair enough. You mean it um, seems to be true? If you're a kid. Yeah. If, if you're you told have, it's true. It's if, true. If you're told or if you have faith. Yes, mm. indeed. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other book, which was actually written longer ago than it was published, is a book called Uncle, which I think some Sarah's read it. I don't know if no, either of you... As you, as you know, I've not read any children's yeah. literature. So. Um, and that's a book... Um, which is out of print and has long been out of print because it's it's thought now to be politically incorrect. Um, there has been a recent reprint, but only in the US. Yeah. You can get it from um, Amazon.com and A Books yeah, and the it, like. There were there were six or seven books, and they go in and well, the first one goes in and out of print, and the other ones publishers don't tend to touch. Um, and the the thing about Uncle is that it's about an elephant who's enormously rich and has a BA and has a BA. It's very important that he's got his um, higher education. And it's a sort of. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a sort of either a celebration or or satire of free market economics, I guess. <laughs> but basically, the, all that happens is the elephant goes around being incredibly rich, and then he has these really poor people who live in this horrible, dingy sort of dark place nearby called Badfort, who are envious <laughs> of his wealth and, and try to do him in. And, and the book, leader of Badfort's uh, name yes. is Beaver Hate Man. He's called Beaver Beaver Hate Man, and there's a there's a, a char- subtle subtle. There's a character called Hit Mouse, and there's. <laughs> There's a character called Nail Rod Hate Man and, and other such <laughs> gross so, so is this just seems to be politically incorrect because it's it's because clearly it's, capitalistic it's, it's yeah it's semi propaganda or capitalist fantasia, except for the fact that Beaver Hate Man schemes are always really imaginative and enjoyable. There's a and all the funniest moments in the book are when Uncle's Uncle's kind of like 
trumped up outrage at whatever ridiculous <laughs> scheme of Beaver Hateman he's discovered. Beaver There's... Hateman always gets gets people listening to him. Um, yes. Uncle overreacts in a, in a very funny way, and he and he he ends up sort of overcoming them in the end by the either the unsubtle mean of kicking up, which um, Uncle always does. Uh, that's how he sort of gets rid of mob. He kicks them up somewhere or he gives them um he sort of bribes them with ridiculous gifts so say here is a barrel of butter and here is um yes 20 bottles yes 20 hams and a bottle of leopard gin who's the hero it's it's very very difficult to tell who's the hero from like because you're you're sort of sympathizing with whoever's got the upper hand which is i Mm. guess a sort of quite a good comment on on capitalism was written by a vicar in the in the 1920s and he wouldn't let them be published in his lifetime they, they were only published... They, they used to read them to his kids, and they were only published when... Um, after he died. Or when he was right at the end of his life. But but so, you'll get a scene where, where Beaver Hate Man is... There's a there's an excellent sequence in the first book where Uncle goes to inspect a school, and they say, oh, the school <laughs> inspector's already been. Um, he's been giving our children writing lessons. And it turns out that Beaver Hate Man has, under the guise of a school inspector, got them to write, Uncle is a boaster, 500 times each, <laughs> all over the blackboard. The that would game. Beaver Hateman's um, tale um, schemes are always of sort of very propagandist. There, so you know he'll he'll drop leaflets, he'll he'll sort of write popular songs, but he'll sing them right under Uncle's nose, and Uncle sort of never realizes for about twenty verses um, that that Beaver Hateman's singing. Um, so Uncle, you know, Uncle's Uncle's stupid, right? Uncle is a bit stupid. What? No, he's got a BA. And yeah, he, but, and he's but he's incredibly rich. But so so he's he's a boaster. He's, and and all know. Uncle's friends find the comic songs about Uncle very really funny. funny. Yeah, yes. But at the same time, within the structure of the book, it's always the books build up to a Uncle triumphing, and Uncle triumphing is presented very heroically. It's like no Uncle's been trapped. He's got to get out. He's got to fight Beaver Hate Man. Yes, he's done in Beaver Hate Man. Then they usually have a big party. And let's have a huge party. So but Beaver, which, to which Beaver Hateman and Hitmouse are always invited. And they always come along and they play with Uncle and um, they have a, they have is, a truce the every not, Christmas. Is the reason so. it's not published now is playing with Uncle is seen to be a bad thing. Or um... well, He always <laughs> keeps his dressing gown on. Oh, well, that's good. I mean, yeah. you, 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 do you think these are moral tales, Tom? Or? I, I think they're weirdly sort of amoral in that the moral shifts from chapter to chapter and who you're meant to sympathise shifts with from chapter to chapter. Because well, 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 I suppose one thing is that all of Uncle's stuff is really, really cool. Um, Uncle uh, drives a traction engine round, um, round mm. this sort of amazing fantasy sort of palace that he's got. Um, but it, it's not sort of a fantasy in your traditional castle, which comes from from anywhere. He's built it himself. It's clearly the the derived from the massive profits he's making from his cheese shop or or his shop where everything is a million pounds. I think there is actually a shop where everything's yeah, there's, just there's, ludicrously there's two, priced. There's, there's two shops in the world of Uncle. There's the cheap man's at which everything is incredibly cheap and sort of it's like half a pence for a enormous enormous keg of cheese or whatever and. Then there's Deer Man's, at which a broken alarm clock is like £25 and 10 shillings. But somehow both these strange economies work, partly because Uncle always takes pity on Deer Man and goes and buys some wretched bit of Are expensive you sure tax. this was written by a vicar? Yeah. By yeah, an adult? Yeah. I, it's like well, something written by children, mm. isn't it? It's much yeah. more like their position, like their <laughs> sense of humour, their, yeah. their amoral it. take. Yeah, And mm. it bounces between who is the hero, who isn't, because people are, people are never sure... I, what the right things to do. I think I hear the drag of a wooden tail. So, <laughs> so we better catch up with the children and the new mother. Anyway, the children the children go off and uh, and and they do naughty things again and the new uh, the, the old mother gets very upset and says, "Well, look, you know, I did warn you and I've got to go." Um, and off she goes and then they hear this knocking on the door a little bit later and for one terrible moment all was still, but in it the children could almost hear her lift up her tail. And then, with a fearful blow, the little painted door cracked and splintered. With a shriek, the children darted from the spot and fled through the cottage and out at the back door into the forest beyond. They are there still. All through the long weeks and months they have been there, with only green rushes for their pillows and only the brown dead leaves to cover them. Sometimes they stay to rest beside the little pool near the copse, and they long and long, with a longing that is greater than words can say, to see their own dear mother again, just once again, to tell her that they'll be good for evermore. Just once again. And still the new mother stays in the little cottage. But the windows are closed and the doors are shut, and no one knows what the insides look like. Now and then, when the darkness has fallen and the night is still, hand in hand the children creep up near the home in which they were once so happy, 
and with beating hearts they watch and listen. Sometimes a blinding flash comes through the window, and they know it is the light from the new mother's glass eyes. Or they hear a strange muffled noise, and they know it is the sound of her wooden tail as she drags it along the floor. The end. <laughs> Ooh, uh. Yeah, that's it. See, it reminds me of a lot of things, like the... Um, uh, there's a, a recent novel called Coraline by mm. Neil Gaiman, which, which has a child move through a wall in the house and, and the other side of the house yeah. has the other mother and the other father and they have buttons for eyes. And Neil, I mean, Neil Gaiman has totally read that because it, yes, I, I originally discovered done. this in a... It was referenced in a comic which right. was published around the time Neil Gaiman mm. was publishing is the Sandman comics, a comic called Doom Patrol, um, right. in which the story gets read to the... Um, the souls of the dead as part of a US military experiment to kind of harvest psychic fear energy or, or something. What? But it's basically an excuse. It's a comics era, you don't need to know. <laughs> to quote the new mother. Um, but what? yes, so it does have a moral. It has quite an extreme moral, which is that if you're naughty, your mother may well be replaced by one with glass eyes and a wooden tail. And because that is what happens when you are naughty, your lovely mother suddenly becomes this horrible person who is horrible to you. Oh, yeah. The yeah, there's a logic to that. Is... I think you could go with that kind yeah. of moral, couldn't you? Because there, there is a logic yeah. to it. There's there's a proper logic to it, which is that there will be consequences. Yeah. And I, w- I will no longer be the nice person. I will be the horrible one with wooden eyes and glass eyes. And yeah, it's. I mean, it's a it's a Victorian morality tale, which because of the way it's presented, because of the extremely odd and disturbing imagery in it, has an enormous impact and effect. And I first read it when I was quite old and still feel and felt quite sort of disturbed and frightened. But I mean, it's it's not the only... It's not the only... I mean, kid, kid stuff these days, I mean, the kids' films are still very disturbing. You know, I've got, I've got a song which I think is fantastically disturbing um, and I know that there'll be someone out there who's going to cry to this. When somebody loved me Everything was beautiful Every hour spent together lives within my heart And when she was sad, I was there to dry her tears And when she was happy, so was I When she She and I together Like it was meant to be And when she was lonely I was there to comfort her And I knew Now, I've got that in um, Arabic and Portuguese if you want to hear it as well, but um, uh, that's um, Jesse's song from um, Toy Story 2, and I had a big argument about this a couple of weeks ago with a fellow Freaky Trick correspondent, Alan, um, and he thinks that's the saddest um, song he's ever heard, and he is probably quite sad. sobbing. Um, I Not evil. I hate it. I hate it. I think that's, I mean, it completely destroys the film for me. But also, I just think the whole thing... So what's happening during, whilst that song... What's happening here? This is Jessie, who is the, the, um, the female counterpart of Woody, if you were aware of the Toy Story films, Cal Geldol, um, basically is there lamenting the fact that now she's a collector's item and she hasn't got her previous owner and the love that she used to feel from her previous owner. Now, a big problem with the Toy Story films is that the, um, the toys are alive when, they're kid, when there's no one around. So for them, living is is not having their owner around, but they see this this magic about actually being played with. That's the that's the greatest sensation ever. But their lives do revolve around their owners. Um, because yeah. I, cause I, I can't remember much about the Toy Story films, but I remember when they first start, they they're all getting into place and arranging themselves um, to. Well, the kid can't know they're up. alive outside of, outside of it. But this whole idea of kids of, of toys coming alive, I, I find I find absolutely freaky and scary you know it's really really odd that these that this is such a, a, a fertile bit of, of kid lit that actually toys come alive when you're not there and have their separate lives 
and can plan your death. I mean, they don't do that, but they could. But <laughs> they the, could do. But of course, it's, it's the being alive bit is is not important to them. It's How the being played in the How did you feel in um, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang when um, where they had to pretend to be the toys for the uh, oh, for true. the creepy when Trilly when Trilly when Trilly Scrumptious pretends pretends to be that that, that ballerina. Yeah, and uh, uh, this, it's not the first instance of robot dancing. Yeah, it is very much like that. So anyway, in in this in this particular instance, what what I find really interesting because we're talking about morals again is that the moral of both Toy Stories films is basically. You must a you, in the first first film. It's very much you must play with your toy in the way it's designed to be played with. You can only play with Woody in a way that is like cowboys. You can only play with Buzz in a way that is like a, a thing because the the bad guy is the next door neighbour who cuts his toys apart, puts puts fireworks Sid. on them. Sid, yes, the evil Sid, <laughs> who is basically just a creative player, right? He, he's seeing, he's got his stuff. He, why why can't I play with a cowboy and a spaceman together? Well, you say creative, I say sadistic. Well, you might say that, but I mean, there's a, there's 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 lots and lots of instances. Uh, there's a, a well known. He's, he's sadistic in a world in which toys are alive. That's yes, the thing. <laughs> and so since the they don't know that, story, yes, he is. Yeah, but, but it's, since since they, they no one knows that toys are alive because toys can only come alive when there's no one there. It doesn't matter, you know. It's but the, 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 the Toy Story Two is the one that has the really evil thing because and this song, which is a very sad song, is basically saying that this doll was loved and it was the greatest feeling ever when it was loved. But then it, she stopped being played with, and it was like a living death for her. So it's basically saying, kids. There was sort of um, entrapment in that, so because she was sort of, um, I guess, she was put away in the, like a Mister Smithers style, you know, glass, sort of glass cage. And well, later, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm don't, I don't want to get onto my least favourite character in Toy Story Two, who is the old prospector character, who is behind um, plastic, because I've always found him a really offensive character. Because he was called Stinky Pete, but <laughs> the I mean, so so yeah. So what's it say, what it's saying is that to kids, you must you know, if you don't want your toys to die and be unloved, you must play with them forever, forever, and in the appropriate way. So your yeah. your cowboy's always got to be manly. You can never well no broke back mountain stuff going on there. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, if Toy Story three does a broke back mountain storyline, I'd be very happy. But <laughs> my favourite Toy Story characters were the little aliens, by the way. My my favourite is Ham the pig. Yeah, well, yes. And it's interesting that in the first Toy Story film, they weren't allowed to use Barbie, and the second one they were. Um, but I, I was talking about this, I was talking about this yesterday, actually, to, to Vic, and I was saying that um, I think what this song's actually about is is how parents feel about their own children. Because um, children, you know, your very young children, unconditionally loves a parent. But then when it gets older, it and starts having its own ideals and... Partly because you start reading them stuff like "shh" and the new mother. <laughs> yes, they stop they loving you quite so much. Unconditionally hating them. <laughs> yeah. Have you taken Litten to the zoo um, just to see how he'd react to the hippos in a non-berserk environment? I, I'm not sure he'd immediately recognise them, but he does really like the Moomin toys actually. And the hippos hippo-esque. and hippos go berserk are rip-offs of the Moomins. <laughs> I, I mean, it's such a fascinating subject, isn't it, in which Pixar are, thank God, skilled enough to really deal with. Mm. You know, it's something which all these animated toys, you know, the um, the great Vaucanson's duck being the, the first, um, and animated figures, which were in the beginning, in the 17th century and 18th century, often children, mm. you know, who little robots of children that moved or, or could write and fascinated the public. And there's something about, there's a, there's a link to be made there, isn't there, with Sid... Um, creating these highly, um, fright- really frightening toys as an expression of how dysfunctional he is yeah. in his real relations with his sister yeah. and so on. But can you explain a bit more about how you feel that relates to the sort of same kind of moral closure that you find in a picture book? Um, not easily. I, uh, I think. I think. I think the closure is in closing the book in a lot of ways. I think the. In in a in a kid's shh. well in in a kid's in a, in a in a young kid's book I think there's often there's often this idea that um, when you get to the end that's it it goes away mm. and and certainly the bedtime story aspect of it can be that but also in in using it the I think the the moral side or the good stuff about a picture book and the only good thing a book should ever do to a, for a child is help it read help it learn to read and help it love literature. And I don't think there needs to be any other moral compunction in the child's book at all beyond that. And I think when they start saying, okay, you can't, you can't do a picture book to teach kids not to touch a stove. You know, it's hot. It's a rubbish picture book, I think. <laughs> yes. You know, um, yes. I mean, what, how do you feel about that? I, I totally agree. I mean, I think that's a manual and, and not a picture book, um, or that's actually getting burnt. One mm, should get burnt yeah. to know that the stove is hot. But I think it's um, to make you uneasy is, is a good, a good yeah. model like Edward Gorey wanted. It can be 
maybe something which actually demonstrates the world's a cruel place mm. without actually and actively being cruel. Yeah, it doesn't have to be cruel know, to you. In that moment upon you. So that's exactly what Pixar or the world do, don't somewhere, they? Um, or where you can still have adventures. I mean, that's what the movements, <laughs> again, just to go back to that, is um, I mean, they've got a huge, fantastic world where this comes in. Uh, but but uh, I mean, this is all really interesting. I'm really annoyed that we're starting to run out of time. Um, but I think we're going to have to start winding this up now. Are we, guys? Mm, yeah, I think mm, we are. We're going to close sad. the picture book and uh, the, yeah, move put the on. toys away. Yeah, well, I think we've got best um, go back to the King's Part for a nice mug of Horlicks bedtime oh, are we, story. Are we not just going to go out into the woods and lie on our beds of rushes and look inside? Well, we could well Snufkin's fried chicken and we'll probably still be <laughs> open for business. <laughs> nom, nom, nom. So, so we could go there. Um, so, uh, guys, please remember to tune in next week to Freaky Trigger and the Lollards of Pop. We'll be back at 7 o'clock on Wednesday for the Lollards late February holiday special. Oh, great. Um, Katie Al... Tom again, and uh, that, that's a bad thing. Uh, well, the, Tom it's, and Magnus. It's a new Tom. New Tom <laughs> <laughs> with a oh, wooden no. tail. Oh, well, dear. well, apparently you'll be travelling over Hill and Shire, taking in unruly artists, Tolkien and tales tall and long. Um, however, I'm going to be in sunny Portugal. So uh, will I. So, so will Pete. Uh, but rest assured, we will be crouched over a grubby internet connection, listening uh, to uh, to the Lollards on ResonanceFM.com or on later on in the podcast, FreakyTrigger.co.uk, half sloshed on a por- bottle of Porto's finest. Oh, no, no. Um, now, um, I'll best say what's coming up. At 8 o'clock, we've got Clear Spot. 9 o'clock, Middle East Panorama. At 10 o'clock, it's the Trash Can, not Sinatra's. <laughs> 11 o'clock, the 50-50 Sound System. And here's the midweek number one by Man to Man for no particular reason other than the fact that Alex wouldn't let me play it last week. Hey. FM, that was Freaky Trigger. I'll be back next week. Coming up in just one moment, angsty ute music, apparently.